0: Welcome to Last Call with Jamie and Christian, my guests today. I'm excited for this one. Dorian, um, a, a, a former hoops coach turned rapper, entrepreneur. Um, one of these guys that you see on see on uh, Instagram, giving so much free knowledge about how to grow your business, how to grow your followers. A dude that I'm super proud of, man, because I just remember we were both trying to figure it out at VCU together back in the day. And then all of a sudden I look up and this guy's got – you know thousands hundreds of thousands of followers and he's making rap music and the music's actually good you know I didn't even know this guy could rap when he was with me so welcome to welcome to to last call Dorian. what's up my man how are you
1: man it's been real good man it's crazy how long the vcu that was what 2011 oh
0: man it was a long it's time it's 12 man.
1: years yeah 12 yeah. years man and it's uh it's crazy how much that the business has changed like if you would have told me in 2011 that I'm going to be a rapper and I'm gonna be a YouTuber, and I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. I'd be like, bro, what? I'm like, nose deep in basketball wasn't even what it was like. Like, how? I don't people. I don't think people really understand how hard Division One college basketball coaches work.
0: They got no clue. They got no clue, man. They got no clue.
1: So you know, hundred I mean, hour, hour weeks. You know, it, <laughs> I was really, really deep in that. There was no way I was gonna make the transition to music but you know you never know what guy's gonna take you
0: yeah no i remember i mean we're there together and and people don't know like the, the shock of smart years like like at vcu like you're working i mean they had just come off the final four we had both just gotten there um and it was like that was not gonna be uh us that was not gonna be a one-hit wonder uh, that was definitely the vibe in the office so we were working that way no.
1: yeah absolutely and i just came from montverde and like you know, I had experienced what is the top of top of high school basketball, mm-hmm. and they come in there and be like, no one cares about you, high school coach. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it was just such a wake-up call. I'm like, you know, we were down at Mount Vernon. We built this big thing. and That was the first time Mount Vernon ever played on ESPN. Like, you know, we had the highs of the highs, then we get fired, and then I finally get into college basketball. It's just, the the when it comes to college coaches' attention, I understand why high school coaches are at the bottom of the hierarchy, and AAU coaches and families and players rank
0: above. Yeah, it's uh, it was different in that environment. Like number one, I love that environment being there um, because it really was about basketball, and it's one of the only college jobs I've ever had where you know we could just we could just work on ball. Um, really, you know, I didn't have to do fundraising or other other things. It was like, hey, get Troy Daniels better get Darius Diaz in the right place, help Breontae Weber. I mean, it was a simple basketball opportunity that was just – that. We, and look at how many talented people we had working in that office at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, we got Shaka, head coach at Marquette, Mike Rose, head coach at Penn State, Will Wade, head coach at, at McNeese State. McNeese. You were the head coach at George Washington. Uh, Mike Morrell, head, head coach at USC Asheville. Mike Jones, he at USC Greensboro. And then yep. Dwight Perry, head coach at Wofford. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of head coaches.
0: <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And then you know, Don is obviously a top assistant now. Um at Kyle's at for, at, for Jonesy uh, at UNCG. Yep.
1: And then Kyle's at UVA, right? Yep. Kyle's Kyle at UVA. Yep. Yep.
0: No, he's at Notre Dame now. So he's at That's Notre Dame. That's right.
1: He went with Micah. Yeah. That's right. It's That's incredible,
0: right. Just an incredible group. And then, you know, again, you're in that GA room with, with uh Dwight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah,
0: and, yeah. and like, and, and I remember I was sitting in the office and I was at Mount St. Mary's and like, your one of your rap things came on. I'm like, yo, this is my guy. Right here. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you can do anything, man. Uh, <laughs> I always wanted to ask you though, like, why did you decide to get out of basketball? And like, what were you feeling as you were kind of working towards that? Cause you were on your way. I mean, you're at, you're obviously at Mount Verde, VCU. Then you went to Jacksonville from there. You're certainly yeah. on your way climbing that mountain. And then you pivoted and had great success.
1: Yeah, thank you, man. The the thing for me was, uh, you know, coming into there to the VCU, that was a perfect time because it, they had just came off the Final Four in April 2011. Me and you got there in May 2011. So I got to see what it was like to be in the epicenter of what college basketball is at that time and what the momentum was. And it was a great experience. But, you know, the way that the business was, what we had at Verde. It was just such a family-oriented and led by basketball, led led by God. I still talk to those players to this day. And I coached them when they were 15, 16 years old. Some of them are 30 now, you know, and half of them didn't even go on and play college basketball. It's just the relationships were so deep. And when I got to VCU, it was no knock of anybody. It's just the way college basketball was. And Stan Jones told me this when I was at – Ver, and I told him I was going into college basketball. Stan Jones, great guy for the state. He told me that when you get in, you're really going to see what it is. And yeah. VCU's a a clean program. Great coach, mid-major, but like has the high major, everything that you want. Like this is the best of the best. And you still see the business just around college basketball, just yeah. the TV. What you were just talking about fundraising. I don't know what Shaka had to had to deal with, but I can tell it was a lot more than just basketball. And then going from that and going to Jacksonville, which is a low major job with low major yeah. resources with just, it was just unorganized and totally different. It just showed me why every single spring I see these dudes run around the final four, like, you know, trying to keep this as clean as I possibly can, but they're selling themselves for a job because it's the yeah. way that the business is. And I was 26, 27 at that time. And I'm talking to assistant coaches that are 46, 47. And they're going through the exact same things I'm going through at that time. I'm like, bro, I don't want this to to be my life. Like,
0: yeah, you're 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 humping around and doing a lot of different stuff to just try to make it work. You know, I mean, it's definitely a different environment that people don't always recognize. Like, it's it's like, and when you're in it, it's like great to be in it. You know, um, and you know, VCU was the first place where I had, and again, that's the first place where I felt like I had everything I needed to be the best basketball coach I could be. Um, and so my responsibility every day was just to bring the best me to it. Um, there weren't going to be a lot of things that popped up that were that we couldn't anticipate or, hey, you know, you're not going to have practice gym time today, you know, so you got to go. It wasn't gonna be any of that. Um, you know, it was a basketball centric place. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thank God every day I had a chance to work there um, just to see that side of it and how it operates.
1: Absolutely, man. And just uh, even the, the relationships I had there, you know, getting close with Troy and Briante and Jew Reddick, you know, I was able to see what skills that I naturally have. Because when when you're a GA, for those of people that don't know what a <laughs> GA is, it's it's manager and then GA. So you ain't nothing <laughs> above nothing. And so I'm able to be in rooms and I'm able to have conversations that you couldn't have with them or like Shaka couldn't. Yeah. And that that's when I learned these skills that I had, like, that were transferable from Montverde to VCU to Jacksonville is players feel comfortable talking to me. It's like they're talking to their cousin or their uncle or whoever that it is. And when I started making content about the music business and music marketing, that's the exact same approach that I took. Like I knew what works with the players would work with the audience too. And it's just amazing that when you're relatable and transparent, you know, that cuts through in so many different aspects of
0: life. Yeah. That's one of the things, you know, we're there. You know, again, you and I both got there at this basically the same. I was like, I was like two weeks after you got there. You had just mm-hmm. gotten there. I'm only like two years older than you. Um, and we're just trying to figure it out. Uh, you know I mean? Because Mike Rhodes, intense personality. Will Ray's an intense personality. Shaka's his own personality. Morell had worked with a couple of those guys before. So he knew how those guys operated. You know, there are days I'm sure you looked up and you're like, what is going on? Um, especially as a GA, because uh, like you said, and I thought you were, I will say, I thought you were excellent at this. You were excellent at building relationships with those guys and being able to filter out the information to give the coaching staff and to give them, which is a really tough skill, um, but a real great value in a good GA that can bridge the gap.
1: Yeah, man, that uh that's something I had to learn to balance. I think just for me moving around so much, because my dad was in the Air Force. So I was in so many different type of environments. I learned real quick, like what people trust you with and what you can actually share and when you need to share information because someone is in danger, as opposed to when you're sharing information and trying to get points. I remember, uh, I don't know if you got there. Yeah, you did. You were there. And um, Darius was like, he wasn't doing nothing over, over the summer because you know (laughs) me and Dwight, we had to work (laughs) them out. And so he was the worst of the worst. And, uh, who the, Joey had, had had just left and I mm-hmm. didn't think Teddy was really ready to take on like what would be yeah. next like Briante too but like you know he was still learning how to be a point guard of a, a team yeah. and all that so I knew how important Darius was and so I remember one night like I wrote a scout report so I'm right scout report felt everybody's doing this this whole summer everybody's progress and I broke down everybody and I stayed in the office till like 10 at night and I remember sliding mm-hmm. under all y'all doors and I felt so great leaving. Man, I woke up the next day, man, bro. I thought I was about to get fired. Shaka was pissed. Uh, Who else was uh, pissed? Somebody else was super mad. Mike Morrell, you know he gonna be pissed because Shaka pissed. He was pissed. I'm like, yo, like, I'm just trying to help. Like, Darius is the one who ain't getting it in. And uh, what what ended up happening, Will Wade pulled me in his office and he said, bro, I loved it. I loved it. But you have to remember that Shaka is a head coach, and he's dealing with so much that when you add that, it's like information overload. Because Darius is the is the point guard, and he ain't doing what he's supposed to be doing. Because I think he said Shaka had a meet was like, "Send him home, get him out of here." It's like, yo, <laughs> calm down, man. It's just he this is a couple of workouts or whatnot. But like, I remember at that time, that was one of those moments. I was like, man, maybe I shared too much information. But I was like, no, no, I want to win, and he's important. And if they're going to be mad at me because I tell them that the star point guard is missing workouts, then I'm going to just be the bad guy and i just go on to another staff later. But Rhodes gave me a lot of respect on that. And I think that was one of those things that, like, really helped me because Rhodes pulled me to the side, too. It was like, this is phenomenal. Keep telling me what they're doing. You got to tell shotgun to tell me, you know.
0: (laughs) No, it was, uh, I remember vividly because you were my GA, so then it's like on me. They're like, Jay, did you tell him to do this? I'm like, I didn't know he was doing I forgot. This. <laughs> I'm like, look, so I'm so they're going on me about this. I'm like, guys, I, I didn't even know, you know, and then I'm like, kind of in the middle, I'm like, I didn't even know he's doing this, but then you know, me, I'm like, well, but there's some good stuff in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So, I didn't even so think like, about that. Like I just threw
1: you right under the bus. Like you had to take all that. And you were brand new too. Damn.
0: I'm in I'm in the, st- the coach's staff meeting, kind of like, well, I didn't know he was doing this. They're like, Jay, did you have him do this? And I was like, I, I didn't I did not have him do this. Um I was like, but I'll talk to him, you know, and they're you know, they're all fiery. I'm more like, oh, you know, I was like, but you know, guys, there are some good stuff in here. I mean there's some stuff that we should <laughs> <laughs> um so it was kind of a one it, it was I mean it was really funny. It was like that's also me getting indoctrinated to this to the situation I'm in, you know, because they're like, Well, you need to control your GA. I'm like, what? Like, man, you know, so it was um, uh, it was I remember it vividly. Um, uh, but I also will say the arc of Darius Theus to where he is today man. to me started started on that day. Really? It started on that day where it was plain, it was plain to see. Where he was, and I think one of us showed it. Sat down with him and showed it to him. Like you need to see where you are. See
1: you now, don't nobody I mean? want to uh, tell t- tell tell the GA that let's let's rip his <laughs> head off. Let's take him <laughs> through the ringer. But we're not gonna tell him that we actually told Darius what it was. And like to think <laughs> about that too. Darius was my guy. He's if if anybody that knows Darius, hard of go. Like the nicest person you'll ever meet in your in, in your life. So. That's that's amazing that that all just came full circle because he's an amazing coach.
0: Amazing, I mean, and that and that year, he really accepted responsibility for what was needed for the team, like to and and I, you weren't there for this because you left to go to Jacksonville in an operations role, but Shaka with him after that was amazing. Um, mm. Coach would meet with him and and not, I wouldn't say meet with him. I don't want to call it a meeting. He would sit with him. Before practice, after practice, they'd be sitting on the floor just talking. I mean, coach dove into this relationship with Darius at an incredible level. And I mean, I, like for me, as a, and we can be really candid on here, as a black head, as a, as a guy who's a black, young black coach, working for a guy like Shock Smart, who's a, who's a, who's a black head coach and successful, mm-hmm. I thought was super valuable because it taught me how to use me with our team. And I'd only worked with older white right guys before. So, I didn't really know i mean I know that sounds kind of weird. I didn't really know how to lead at that level at that height, but then also be with the guys, and you make yeah. your progression as a coach because you connect with the guys and Shaka was amazing at doing both, you know, so you watched <laughs> that, and it was amazing to watch
1: if you if you look at uh, as we analyze Coach Smart, if you look at his upbringing and his background, he always had to do both,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So so that's that's what he learned. He's been very vocal about that. He had a podcast with Doug Gottlieb where he's very open about that. That's one of those things, it's almost like the inverse for the GA, right? I knew I could connect with the with the players. Like we yeah. play in Madden in college football and we go into the clubs, and you know, but am I gonna be able to get the respect from the coaches? Because going to what you were saying too about being a, a black coach, I don't want to be pigeonholed as just a recruiter, or I'm right. just a I'm just a player regular, regular. They're telling you to control your GA, control your players. You know, like I'm way more than that, you know. And that was the great yeah. thing about being on that staff with with you and with Shaka and with Dwight and myself and even Coach Jones, who was there for like two weeks with, with me, you know, you got to see black men do it in this business. And like it wasn't even like about race. It was just like, hey man, you can yeah. do a good job. We always working so hard, like nobody even cared about that.
0: Yeah. No, you know, and I just felt like you know, Darius Arks, where he is now in that year, how the leader, because he always had such good stuff. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got a great heart, a great connectivity, a kind person, a hardworking – he has all these traits inside of him, and he just needs the right people to help him push push that out and to live that way. And just watching him through that year and where he is now, like so, I mean, I'm so proud of all those guys, and, and you included. But where he is today, like – you know that's that's my that's my guy right there. You know we started working. I was, obviously, I had Troy. We had Troy Daniels. We're working with him, and then during the season, Derek started saying, "Coach, can I get some extra workouts in?" And so then he just started working with Troy, and we started working together. And and uh, and next thing you know, it was like Breante Webber was in the gym, Javante Reddick was in the gym. I mean, all of a sudden, we could have the the night before the games, we'd have like eight people in the gym coming over with me, and I was like, "This is gonna chance to be pretty special," you know?
1: Yes, that's like the Team USA, Kobe. You know when when yeah. they was coming in late and Kobe was going to work out at four in the morning and next thing you know LeBron and Wade and Carmelo and CP three and the whole team you know that's that's when you have a a real unit that's when you have that connectivity yeah. you know and it's amazing like I didn't get to see any of that because I was gone. But it's amazing. Like over the the summer, it's like that's what Shaka was trying to intentionally do. Was like yeah. set everything on fire with the Navy SEAL training and all that. Like uh, <laughs> let's get let's he remember he had the uh, the, the the little card after the Final Four. Like that was last year. Get over it. And we had to put yeah. it in our wallet. Remember that? Like I kept it for yeah. a long time. Um, but like Shaka was really trying to get rid of everything from 2011, not out of disrespect, yeah. but he just didn't want them to rest on their on their laurels. And clearly because y'all won the conference title that year, right?
0: Yeah, we won the conference tournament. Right. We won. We had the most wins in VCU history at the time. I believe it's still there. Twenty nine wins in that season. Uh, went to the round of thirty two were shot away from going to Sweet 16 back to back years. Um, but it was I mean, you're definitely right, though. Shock started laying that foundation in the summer. And then it just, you know, I, he just set us all up. You know, Shock's a point guard, so he just set it all, set us all up to have success without us even knowing that he was setting us up. You know, um, very true. And the guys just started growing and getting better and improving, and, and it was, it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was one of the most fun years of my life. Um, I didn't sleep much that year, but I don't go back and say, "Oh, I needed more sleep." You know what I mean? I, I would definitely do that again and have less sleep to uh, to have that many victories.
1: So when when you were a head coach, I never got a chance to work for you. That was another thing. When I got out, when all y'all started getting head jobs, like damn, I'd have been an assistant there. I'm there, <laughs> have been right I'd there. there. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm looking up like the salaries, like bro, and you over here making rap music. You got twelve streams, like you out here tripping, you know. But <laughs> I asked you, like when when you were a head coach, was it seven days a week? Was it six days? Like, what was your? I've been on some crazy oh, yeah, staff. You know,
0: bro. when I was when I was younger. You know, my first couple of years, it was like seven days a week. Um, and like, if I text you, I expect you to text me. I mean, you were my GA, so you know the deal. But I text you, I expect you to text me right back. Like, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care who you with, what time of night it is. When I hit you, I want you to hit me back. Um, but as I got a little more experience, you know, you start getting guys with families. It's, it, it's just hard to have a, a, a grown man who has a family. It's hard to treat him that way. Um and so I did less of that as I got older. More as I got older, it was more about you know let's just do your job. Let's do your job at the best level. I'm gonna trust you to go and do it. Um, and, and not that I felt like we were. It's it's weird. We had we felt we worked under pressure at VCU, but the pressure wasn't from Coach Smart. It wasn't from him micromanaging us. It was I felt like it was always more about the environment and wanting to be our best. Like I just wanted to be my. I, I didn't want to come in a meeting. I didn't want to come in a meeting with with Will or Rhodes and. Not be the best. Um, I never made yeah. it about like oh like you know him. I, I never felt like Shock micromanaged me. I just wanted to be better. I just wanted to be the best assistant at the end of the day, you know, and do the best job I could. Um, and so I thought, you know, that's how I felt about. It. Maybe you felt differently. Maybe you felt like he was keeping that pressure dynamic. Um, I mean,
1: I was a, we we were GAs. We got we got everything. <laughs> but you know, I never thought about that from your perspective because uh, Mike Rose is probably the best basketball mind I've ever been around. You know, mm-hmm. and so when it comes to scouts or when you came, like you, you had to really have yourself and Wade's really good, yeah. too. You know, so that's a that's a very sharp coaches room and for you to be walking in there. Yeah, because you and came from Wave and Mary, right?
0: Yeah, they came in the final four yeah. and shock put me in charge of the offense. You know, he put so he puts me in charge of the offense when I walk in the door. Rhodes just run done the offense. They were top they were final four team. He puts me in charge of the offense. And I got to learn this playbook and the playbook's like 450 pages. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So like, and, and, you know, obviously like I have to learn it. So I have a a Bill Sarden, uh, Billy Sarden, Will Sarden. Yep. Um, Billy was good. Yeah. He's the best. He's the best fixer there is. I would have him come to my office. We shut the door and for like an hour each day, we'd go over the playbook and I'd have him at the desk, read it to me and I'd have to write it out. But I was afraid of embarrassment of not knowing you know what it was. You know what I mean. When they called out, you know, twirl, twist, runner, hammer. Like, do I am I gonna know what that is? Um, but no, it was it, it was a it was a good coach's room. But you better be on top of your shit.
1: And you and you know what? That's why you became a head coach. You know, because I worked on staffs yeah. where that wasn't the, I w- that was not the case at all. I worked the staffs. There was no playbook. You know, or the playbook <laughs> was like eight eight pages. Now you know I I did so when I first got to VCU, my big project was I had to. I think, yeah, I had to analyze every single offensive of play from the previous year. So I yep, went in the yep, synergy, yep. went to every two games. I think and that's why I paused. I think I had to give you all that data, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um yep. and so by the end of the year, I saw Shaka was running like four plays. Five plays. Oh, <laughs> like like once you got, got got to the tournament, it's like that whole we're big master playbook. Yeah, it's like four plays, dog, and then the reads, and then we're just going from there. Yep. And so I understood like coaches that didn't have that, but just other staffs that I've been on, they just didn't have the preparation. They weren't organized, they weren't feeding into um the the young coaches. Cause that's a conversation yeah. that I have now with my friends that are still coaching, some division one head coaches, is like when do young coaches get to really learn the X's and O's now, right? Yeah. Like who, who in the office is taking time every single week? Hey, for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, we're going to watch NBA. We're going to watch college. We're going to watch women's. They have some of the best sets and yeah. we're just going to talk shop because where else in life can you talk about bas- basketball strategy than with basketball coaches, but right.
0: who's really doing that? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you this. This is a, this is a thing that, um, we always did when I was the program I was leading. We talked a lot of basketball. I mean, there would be the group chat was clips of plays that we were watching, things that we liked. Like I love that part of it. And I'll be honest, there weren't a lot of places where we got a chance to do that. Like I love that. I was like, I feel like my part, biggest thing I need to do is create an environment where learning was important, and that's just with your coaches and your players. Um, and 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 so you you'd be surprised how many young coaches I talk to now. That, or even when I was coaching at Mount St. Mary's, I mean, I got guys, Dorian, that were, that were top assistants in the Big East, the Big Ten, that would stop by my office at Mount St. Mary's to have that conversation about play design and what you're looking at and how to do scouting reports. And, um, and I'm like, man, you're at the highest level making the most money you can in this business at your position, and no one's ever taken five hours, six hours out of their day to just help you learn how to do this?
1: And it and it shows. I mean, you look at the NBA playoffs. This is probably the worst coach NBA playoffs I've ever seen. And when you and when you think about it, when we're younger, you know, Phil Jackson and Pat Riley and Chuck Daly and even Rudy Johnovich and uh, yeah. Pop, you know, like these dudes were strategists. I mean, statisticians, and and they had some real strategies. Like you know, the the simple things. Like if if a guy has 15 points in the first half on ball screens, you should probably trap him and make him get the ball. <laughs> You know, yeah. but that's just they're just not going to do that. And and when you start thinking about it, being a coach now, exits and O's is like one percent. It's like being yeah. a uh, rapper, like making music is one percent of being a rapper. The other ninety nine percent is marketing and, and business. And so yeah. if you never get that training, you can get all the way to the top and be an NBA champion and not really know your exits and O's like that, it, which is insane. It's still wild,
0: though. Because we'll we'll say that, but then we'll watch the two last guys that'll be left. You'll see Mike Malone and Eric Spolstra. And those guys are running a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? And so I always always look at Spolstra because I'm like, man, he's the best coach in, in the NBA. And I said, coach, what does he do that's so good? I say he coaches them. He puts his best players in position to have success um, all the time, not just out of timeouts. Um, He puts his players with weaknesses in positions where they can be successful by using their strengths. You know, no one on their team does anything that isn't part of their strength. Right? And I'll tell you this, if Jimmy Butler hits two shots in a row, they're going to put him in a position to create to create some rotation where he gets a chance at the third or creates with somebody else. You That's know, right. where a lot of times some of these teams I'm watching, I mean, Jason Tatum had 51, you know, three, four, four games ago. He had three shots in a row the other night. And they came down and the Boston Celtics played a two-man game on the other side where he didn't even touch the ball. And the only thing Joe did, he called timeout. And the military he just called timeout. And he ran. But I'm like, that's coaching. You know, you don't have to have a billion sets. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant, Dorian, if you give him the ball at the elbow, he's probably scoring. He ain't got to have yeah. a whole lot of sets. But you do have to play with purpose. You know? Um, and 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 I'm excited to see if that comes back in the NBA because right now I think it's just so guys are moving around so much. I think it's been hard for guys to have that continuity. You're talking about those teams you talked about: the Jazz, the Rockets, the Bulls. Well, they had guys in that team that were mainstays for a long period of time. where you can really exactly. dive deep into a playbook,
1: and that's where you know the basketball patriarch comes in. Because the two coaches you just named who are probably going to be in the finals, we'll see, is Eric Spoel. He got to the Heat in '95. That was Pat Riley, fresh from yeah. the Knicks, and then and that Showtime Pat Riley as well. And then you have uh, Mike Malone, Brandon Malone's son, Chuck Daly's assistant. You know, so that look at where they where they come from. And when we talk yeah. about culture, like it starts with the patriarch. It starts with coaching and in college basketball more so than anything. Like, I remember when I was younger and I started getting into coaching the amount of Indiana grads that worked in basketball. <laughs> and the reason being because Bob Knight was the ultimate yep. basketball patriarch. And so everybody came through that program and they were all over. Where are the Indiana grads now. You don't really see that like like that. And you see yeah. Duke running everything. You see yeah. Villanova. UCLA is always in there. Like, you know, the importance of having that basketball patriarch in the NBA level or the college level is something that a lot of people don't talk about because that's how you get your opportunities. You know, when you yeah. and I get on the staff at VCU, we are now in a shock of smart basketball family. So we are now connected and we are now protected as opposed to when you're just a free agent out here. Like, bro, you're not about to get no jobs, man.
0: (laughs) Like I'm I'm in the car with shock. I tell this, I I do, I do a good bit of public speaking. So I tell this story when I do some public speaking, I'm in the car. Shock says, let's go recruiting. So we jump in the, we we go in the car. Number one, what's different with shock is he drives. When you go recruiting, he drives the car. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Maybe it's because it's a nice suburban and he doesn't want anybody taking chances, but he drives. Well, the Escalade?
1: The Y'all to the suburban? Well, no, Escalade. Escalade.
0: The Escalade. Yeah. He I, I had
1: to, uh, I had to drive to Escalade one time. I had to drop a president off or something, bro. I was. <laughs> <stunned>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> With havoc on the back. I mean, it was, yep. it was legit. Um, but he drives and, you know, in the midst of this drive, there's a couple of things I learned. You know, he, he wanted me to man his cell phone. So we we're going to text recruits or players and, you know, he'd be in the car and say, hey, text Darius right now or text, 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 uh text Javante right now and tell him this. So I'd be on this phone manning his phone. What I realized when I had his cell phone, number one, that he'd been texting with every one of our players all day. And like he had been meaningful conversations, every one of the conversations different just to get to know the guys, for them to get to know him. He was really working at that relationship. So I always took that from him, um, just how hard he worked at having a relationship with everyone on the team. But the second thing that happens in the midst of this drive is he goes, you know, Jamie, what's your goal? And I said, well, you know, my, my goal is to be a head coach. And which honestly, Dorian, at the time, it wasn't even my goal. Like, I, I I just wanted to be a really good assistant, have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. I just said that because I didn't have anything else to say. I mean, what are you going to say? You know, and he's of smart, so I don't want to say something dumb. Like, oh, I don't have a goal coach. I just want to work for you forever, you know. Um, so, oh, of course, I want to be a head coach. And he looks at me and goes, Jamie, you're going to be a head coach you're a 28 year old assistant coach at VCU. <laughs> so I said, wow. You know, he goes, you want to be a successful head coach. And that's when I was like, man, this, this guy is different. You know, that guy, this guy is different. And, and then the conversation from there on, my conversation with him was completely different as a mentor really. Um, because like who says that to you, unless they have complete confidence in you to go and do that, you know? And it was just, it was just different.
1: That's, that's powerful, man. And that's, that's coaching other other coaches, you know, to to say that twenty eight year old sister, you're going to be a head coach after the success that he's had. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, I wanted to talk about this, so you know, we we, we kind of jumped on this when last time we spoke about um, the first time that I, you know, so everyone out there understand, you get a GA, you don't get GAs every place you are. So I get, to, I get to VCU, and I get my first GA. And everyone on the staff at VCU has a graduate assistant that goes with them. And typically, your graduate assistant moves with you when you get a job. That's kind of how it works. That's a person that's like your, your assistant, does all stuff for you, helps you out, whatever. So Dorian's my assistant. And I, I never really had one. I think I was pretty easy to work with until this day, I'm sure, because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but I go on this trip. And I think we're recruiting on the West Coast. Somehow I was in Seattle. I'm not sure why I was in Seattle, but I'm sitting in a Seattle airport. And and I'd given Dorian a, an assignment. I said, you know, I kind of saw where everything was going social media wise. And I guess 2011, right before Twitter really exploded. And I said, Dorian, do me a favor. I want you to put together a report that correlates recruiting with online dating. <laughs> and And I really left it that way. Uh, pretty open-ended. I probably should have given you more detail, Um, but the conversation we had about this the other day was pretty funny, uh, so I thought it'd be good for our audience.
1: Man, I didn't know what the hell you was talking about. <laughs> so I was just like, like, what is what is the science behind this? I'm like, okay. So I started trying to reverse engi- engineer, it. I'm like, ob- obviously, he wants to know why they're connecting, but I really thought it was like, <clears throat> some shaka like dummy run project. So I was like, man, whatever. It was late at night. I think it was Saturday. I think it was. And like.
0: It was, it was. I think it was Friday. I think it was a Friday night. And cause I was leaving, I was flying back Sunday.
1: Yep. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I was, on the, I, and was, mind,
0: I was on the West coast. So I might've hit you with this at seven o'clock on the West coast. It might've been 10 o'clock on the East coast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this is July, you know, so y'all are out re- re- recruiting, so we're in the office. It's almost like a vacation, <laughs> like it's not all the way, but like, so me and Dwight are finally like, yo, we're gonna get to do something bad this uh, weekend. And so, when you sent that, I'm like, all right, I'm about to just knock this out, whatever, woo-tie, woo-tie, woo. and then I and I sent it back to you, and bro, you called me. And I forgot what time that it was. And I don't know what the language situation is on your podcast. I want you to, to, to make some money. Man, you <laughs> went off. Like, <laughs> off, off. You how? what the fuck? Is I'm like, man, what is wrong with this dude? I was sleepy. I wanted to go out. Like, I don't think I had eight yet. And you were like, this is terrible. This better be done when I land at 7 a.m. And so I'm just like, bro, I ain't gonna be able to eat or like leave the office or anything. So I said, all right, I gotta get out because I know that I gotta come back to the office. So let me leave. At the time I was living on campus, me and Dwight had an apartment on Broad yeah, Street. So I walked, yep. Yeah. So I walked over there, cleared my head, told Dwight, me and him shitted on you for about 15 minutes. <laughs> then uh, I, I uh, went, I went back. I walked back to the office because I had to finish this report. And when I went back, I was talking to the girl that I was dating at that time, and she actually worked in college basketball. And so she had been around coaches before, and I was on the phone with her, and she was just, and I had sent it to her, and she was just like, you have to make this a lot more broad. Like, you have to make it something that coaches can understand. Like, it's not so much the academic thing. You have to really mix the basketball in it. And so when she said that, the words resonated with me, because I guess it came from a different source, third party. Women, you know, women always have a better perspective to me. And so I went in there and I really started thinking about like basketball is about numbers. That's what turns me on with this is like numbers. And so like, let me start finding a bunch of numbers about research and about dating and about, you know, what people are moving towards and the science behind that. And I just kind of got in a zone for about an hour and a half, make sure everything was written all right and the punctuation went there. And I was like, well, you know, you know, already piss the staff off with telling them that they started point guard doesn't work out. Now you got <laughs> the assistant who's you know, y'all just started working together. He's about to fire you over this. So brother, you got to hit this button. You know, and I think I would have text some coaches to make sure I had a backup job just in case, man. And then uh, I went to sleep. And man, I was mad. Like I was really, really mad. But I was like, you know, all this stuff happens for a reason. So I woke up the next day and then you called me and I don't even remember what you said, but I just remember your voice was just such at a lower volume than the last time that we talked. I just felt relief. <laughs> like, um, I don't remember well, what you told me.
0: I was flying from Seattle to Philadelphia and I, when I got to Philadelphia, I was going to read it originally from Seattle to Philly. And then I was like, I need it by the morning so I can read it from Philly to Richmond. Cause I wanted to come in the office and have something in my mind prepared. I was like, we're going this project. And I think it's, it's, it's important to know that it was an excellent presentation. Like the second time you did it, it was, I mean, I took this, I didn't tell you this. This is what a bad communicator I am. I didn't tell you this until we spoke about two weeks ago. This became the singular document for how we recruited at every job that I had. And if you look back at how we recruited and who we got and how we got them, pretty good group of guys. I think 22, I think got 22,000 point scores in the last 10 years. Pretty good group of guys. Um, and it all started from from a screaming match in the Seattle airport where you recorrected this document. The document was just excellent. I, I bet you – would you give this document away for free now? Or – you know, like, I, I feel like people should want this document. It's that good. I look at it now, and I think it sucks. <laughs> like, Do you? I thought I, it was great.
1: At the time, I mean, it, so- it, was, it
0: was 12 years, 15 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, thought it I mean, was, I, when you did it at the time. I think about online dating had just started. Mm-hmm. So people weren't really online dating like that. Like there was no Tinder. There was no swiping. You know, there was like eHarmony was just kind of getting going and you crushed it. And then I changed our entire recruiting philosophy to fit what people want online Um and yeah. started doing profiles. And, you know, it was a game changer.
1: Man, I uh, appreciate that. And I didn't even know that a, a, until you told me a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, I just think times have just changed so much. And I think, like, you know, you were forward thinking. I was forward thinking. Another thing that happened when I was a GA there, I got in trouble a lot now that I think about it. Uh, we had went to go see X-Men. No, Captain America because it sucked. And it was like me and DJ Haley and Jew Reddick and somebody else. I can't remember. And I was just like, I hadn't tweeted the whole summer because at the time, Shaka was like anti-social media because he came out the Final (laughs) Four, woop-dee-woop. So I'm scared to tweet, even though this is the only way I can brand myself as a basketball coach. It was the first time I had tweeted in like six weeks. I put, uh, just saw Captain America. No, walking into Captain America with my boys, the woop-dee-woop. And like, (laughs) Shaka tells, I think Donnie was in it with us. Shaka texts Donnie. And Donnie tells me, Shaka <laughs> said, stop tweeting. I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, I can tweet. I went to the to the movie. So, like, at this, at this point, man, I'm just like, man, I get in trouble just all the time, whatever that I'm doing. So, just like the fact that, like, we're able to pull from all these things and people are able to see that, you know, this is what college basketball is. This is what being yeah. a support staff member is. Like, this is what being on a staff and you know, you have to find ways to to give value is is like, because I saw things from a certain perspective. I knew I didn't have the recruiting relationships. I knew I didn't have the strategy experience. And like, I knew I wasn't ready to be like an assistant or a head coach, but I had a perspective and damn it, y'all are going to hear it. And if you don't want to hear it, I'm not supposed to be here, you know? And I think that's (laughs) something that people just need to live by, not just in coaching, but just in life. Like you are in positions for a reason. And no matter what your title is, if you see something, you need to speak up because everybody doesn't know everything. You know, I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure we got Shaka on here. He would tell us all types of stuff that he did wrong back back then, <laughs> you know, because yeah. we all were learning. So it was just just such a great thing to really experience all of that. And I don't think it's any coincidence that all the people that were in that at that time are, yeah. you know, having a lot of success.
0: Yeah, and I felt like after those experiences are kind of early, you, like, really settled in on, like, how to give the information, how to deliver the information. I mean, you know, obviously you work for clients now, work for clients now. So much of it sometimes isn't what the information you're giving, it's the presentation of it and the timing of it. And so learning, the temperament to deliver it and when to deliver it, what it needs to look like. Um, Those are like really valuable lessons that I had to learn there, that you learned there, that we all kind of figured out. But I think what's cool is that we all really root for each other uh, no matter what. We remember, and, and look, all of us, I want our audience to know, all of us have stories on all of us. (laughs) <laughs> like, like, yeah, we right. all have these stories that are that are hilarious about one another um, through that time period.
1: Man, I hate it. We had to hoop so much, man. like Because another thing, GAs, right? You're going to hoop against the staff, but you really can't hoop. You know, like I can't be as physical as I really want to be. I can't play like how I really want to play because – You played physical shotguns. on me.
0: Like you played I mean, physical on me. You, you were I was going in, in off on F- you during the day. <laughs> so, so, so you are taking it out of me and pick up <laughs> and
1: you were like a, a fully formed athlete this is no disrespect to anybody but sh- me and shaka have a massive size difference you know and so if i really really wanted to it would have been like a serious serious problem and like wade like his his core is just you know he's just so soft you can just push him just like a feather but you know this is Shaka smart and like will wade like let me let wade hit this weak ass short corner jumper Let me let Shaka think that he's Gary Payton, unless I really want to. Like, you know, Dwight's gonna score off our points anyway because he played at Kentucky. You know, but hooping with the staff was terrible. I hated that.
0: (laughs) I remember the first time I go and play, and this is I could I could I can still play now, but I could play better then. And Shocks point guard, and he's playing, and they just kept bringing me off these pin downs, and we're playing in the in the old practice gym that's like 110 degrees in June and July. And I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Dude. I, I couldn't I couldn't see. But I just – <laughs> I, I couldn't see. But I came up with the pin down, hit a three, you know, and the shot's like, all right, do it again, do it again. So I come off another pin down, and I'm still trying to prove myself. So, like, for the next two, three games, I'm just coming off these pin downs like Rip Hamilton, and I was making them. Thank goodness I was making them. But I could not see. I was so tired, but I just knew I couldn't quit. Like, if I quit, you know, like, I, I have to finish the game out. And so, so, Chuck always gets the most out of me, for sure. Um, but I just remember coming up. I'm sure after that day, cuz man, he can really play. And I was like, I cannot breathe.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so hot in there in Franklin. It was so hot. And, like, the ceiling would be coming down because it was so old. And it's just hilarious because, like, me – and Dwight, and Dave Maturo, and even DJ, we used to be like, man, we do not want to hoop against these dudes. Like, we just don't want to hoop. And it's hilarious seeing you on the other side because I remember that game. I'm like, damn, he used to, heal doing everything. <laughs> he was like, I, I wanted to prove myself. It's crazy the environment <laughs> Shaka created. Like, it was just nonstop competition and everything.
0: Yeah. And I know him. He just wanted to, he wanted, he wanted to see how far he could push me. Like he no doubt he wanted to see how far I would go, and when I would stop. And I was just uh, I, I I was not going to stop. Um, but yeah, so it's, I mean we would hoop three times a week, four times a week, even during the season.
1: I, I was there for that summer because I left. I think it was October, man. And we were hooping four times a week over the summer. So I don't know. What yeah, y'all it doing. was a lot.
0: Um, which I, I I think it's great for the players to see when the coaches are playing. I think it's great for the players to see that the coaches love ball. Yes. Um. And because there have been a lot of places that I've been where the coaches don't even love ball. They don't want to play ball. They just kind of want to wear the polo and you know say they're a college basketball coach. Um. I always wanted our players to know, man. I love ball. So okay. it, you know I'd be playing in pit. I'd be playing in practice. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? like if a point guard was getting torched in practice, I'm like, yo, give me the. I'll guard him. Like just you get on the side. I'll guard him. <laughs> like, you know. Because I know they can't torch me. Like all of a sudden everything gets a little bit easier. But um, but can you even
1: do that now? I mean, he's hitting the uh, transfer portal like the next day. You can do that, man. <laughs> like, coach, take your spot in practice.
0: No, I've had dudes come in the office, and, man, like coach, you don't even let me play in practice because you're playing in my spot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that like, that man, should you tell you got, everything you, gotta, you need to know. You gotta
0: get better, you just gotta get better, man. Like, you know, and then I'm like taking that guy playing a one-on-one before practice and stuff. Like, like you gotta come back at me, you know. Um, but no, I mean, definitely great times and you know, well, talk to me a little bit about this transition. How did you become how did you start rapping? Like how do you yeah. uh, I'll tell you this. Usually when you have a when you have guys on your team that rap, they're always rapping all over the place. I had no idea you had this skill and this talent. Um until one I forget, I think Dwight sent it to me actually. Um, and he sent it to Maturo and the Maturo sent it to me, I was like, This is this is good. <laughs> how did you get into that?
1: Thanks, man. You know, I've always had a talent for music, I've always um Heard music a very specific way. And I thought that's how everybody heard music. And, you know, growing up in Indianapolis, you know, baking it in music just wasn't like a real thing. You know, making it in basketball was like everybody mm-hmm. around me was playing pro or going to the league or, you know, been overseas for 15 years. So I saw careers inside of basketball. So the two things I loved. So it was just way easier for me to try to do something in basketball it wasn't real. But I got sick of basketball and, um, Music just kept pulling at me, man. Like I had a, I had a dream. I had, um, it was Christmas 2013 and I was living in Chicago. I was working for a company called stats and they were owned by sport view and they used to keep Mm -hmm. data and stats for the NBA. So I would go in at like 11 o'clock at night, watch all these NBA games, scrub the footage, make sure everything's right. Leave at six, seven o'clock in the morning. Like the worst job I've ever had in my life. Um, But when I was at that job, you know, I was able to listen to a lot of music, listen to a lot of YouTube videos because it was mindless work. And I just moved into my apartment in Chicago. My mom had sent me some dishes and it was a heavy box. And I went down to pick up the box from the front door. My back went out. Like the worst back pain I've ever had in my life. Um, It was probably about 10 feet from the door to my couch. Took me like five minutes to climb to the couch. And I'm living by myself. So I lay on the couch and, you know, can't do nothing. So I fall asleep. <laughs> it's crazy when I think about the story. And when I fall a- asleep, man, um, I start seeing a whole bunch of colors like blue and green and purple. I start seeing numbers like 101, 78, 96, You know, I think sixty eight. It was just it was weird. And then mm-hmm. I'm on this mountain and I used to live in North Carolina when I coached at Leesma Craig College. And if you've ever drove in that area, you know that. These mountains are huge. They have the road. They have a little tiny silver guardrail. And then it's yeah. the it's the bottom. It's like the scariest thing ever when you live up there. Yeah. And for some reason in my dream, that's where we're at. And the road is kind of like, has a mist like it just rained. And I and my window's down and I can hear the road, like the, the creaking, like cracking sound from the tires hitting the road. So it's not slippery, but it is still kind of wet. And then it's just deafening quiet. And then I just hear loud as possible. mm, 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 mm. It's like Tupac's ambitious as a a rider. And it's just loud. It's like a super loud speaker. And I see this car coming and and like the car is playing it. I'm like, cool. So I'm in my lane driving and this other car is coming. And, you know, probably should do it like like this. I don't know. And then as this car is coming, it's about to clip my car. Now, I got a choice to make. What I could do is I could hit this car and clip it or I can go off to the right and I'm going to go down this this mountain. And I'm just like, OK, I'm about to hit this car. So this car comes right at me, right at me. And they swerved just at the last minute. And when the car swerves, the dude has his window down. Remember, my window's down. And the dude leans out the car and it's Tupac. And he looks at me, he said, oh, wow. stay in your lane. And then I woke up and I'm like why the hell is Tupac coming to me in my dreams yeah. telling me to stay in my, in my lane? And like, I think a lot, you know, and I think about my life and I reflect a lot. Cause you know, I spent a lot of time by myself cause we moved around so much and I hadn't thought about my music career in my life, but you know, I played the trumpet in fourth and fifth grade. I played the drums in sixth and seventh grade. I sang in a choir from eighth until my senior year of high school, like I'm always making beats and stuff. And I just had all these musical memories and all these things came to me. And it was just like, I need to create art. Like everything else mm-hmm. I was doing, I wasn't fulfilled. And like, I need to create music. I got things I want to say. I've always written poems. I've always done any of that. So I'm about to learn, And you know? And so I just really went on like a hardcore YouTube lesson on how to make beats and how to write and how to do all these things and put out an album a year later, album sucked, you know, but I learned, you know, and I slowly yeah. but surely started figuring all these things out. I made a song called Sunshine, everyone liked that, you know, so that gave me a little bit of confidence. And then I moved to LA and when I moved to LA, I said, I'm gonna really give this music thing like two to three years. And I'm gonna go as hard as I possibly can. I had a day job. I was working as an admissions rep for grand Canyon Uni- university and I made music at night and I, every paycheck I went to the studio and I made a new song. And I slowly but surely got good. And as I was getting good and making the music, I had to learn how to market it. Cause I'm not signed to no label. Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to sign to a label. Cause I learned the music business. I read all about it. So because of that, I had to learn how to market this digital product and learning how to market music is like the toughest thing to do. So I finally got a song, Don't Sleep. I wrote the most possible, I wrote the most simple song I possibly could off of a banging beat. And I found this kid who had went viral on social media because he had danced to some Michael Jackson songs. And I found his mom and I hit them up and asked him, would he make a video to my song? She said, yeah, for 150 bucks. I said, cool. And he made the video and it went off on Facebook. it like 400,000 views. And all this attention came to Don't Sleep. And I started getting all these streams and all this stuff started happening and it just went away. And at that point, that's when I learned about like influencer marketing, And how to replicate this stuff, and I just went on this massive rabbit hole of just learning everything about marketing, and then it went from music to content to courses to all this stuff, and you know, thing kind of took a life of its own.
0: That's pretty cool, dude. I had no idea. Wow, dang! And so, so you make the you know you get the you start having some little bit little bit of success, you feeling good about yourself. How did you then turn this into, you know, because the thing that you know I, I like. I mean, I love your music. I think your music's great. The thing I also love is, like, I love your marketing. Like, you basically you basically started coaching others on how to market and how to – which I think is really neat. I mean, it's really easy to climb to the top of something and then just stay there by yourself. It's really different to build a ladder for other people to climb up with you. Um, what gave you the background to want to do that?
1: Coaching. You know, it's, it's when I feel like if you're a coach and you want to coach – you're just a natural teacher. You just naturally want to help people. Like it's a it's a fulfillment that I've always gotten from helping players get to a place that they can't get to by themselves. You know, seeing somebody that's way more talented than I ever was in basketball and helping him let make his dreams come true so he doesn't have to feel the pain of basketball rejection as soon as I did, as early as I did. It was the same thing inside of the music business, man. People are mean. You know, when you yeah. are trying to make music, people are evil and they're mean. And they say mean things and it it discourages you. And when you finally start learning, it's like, I don't want any other artists to feel what I felt from people being evil, talking crazy about me and my music and my business. It's like, I'm making art because I want to make art. I'm not making art to do anything negative to anybody. I want to make art. And you criticizing me for making art, it's just a weird thing. And so that became my mission and that's what my passion was. And what I did is I started, All those videos I watched at that job, Stats, all those YouTube videos, I mainly was watching, like, music business interviews. And so I would watch these people talk about the music business, Jay-Z, 50 Cent, Future, Kendrick, J. Cole, and I knew these interviews by heart because I watched them so much. It's like watching tape, just like basketball. Mm -hmm. And so when I would go live on social media, I would always quote these interviews, and sometimes I would even watch them with my fans on live. This is why I probably had, like, 8,000 followers on Instagram. And... What I learned is that they wanted to see the interview and they wanted to hear my thoughts. So I started making videos where I would play the interview clip up first and then I would do my reaction to the interview clip. And that mm-hmm. made people really start understanding the music business because I will really break down the music business at a much deeper level. And I was talking to them like I talked to players, like I talked to my homeboys back home. And there ain't many black men on YouTube talking about this stuff. And so yeah. I had so many value propositions and I was putting out so much content because it's as y'all can hear right now, I could talk for hours. It's nothing for me to make a, 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 YouTube video. So I had so much content. I just flooded it. And the way social media works, if you flood it, you're going to be rewarded. And that's what started happening because these videos just started going crazy because these clips are attached to Jay Z and J Cole and Kendrick, mm-hmm. but then they see my face and they build my personal brand too. God, that's
0: really good. And, and, I felt like you were like well, now that's like the that's like the whole TikTok strategy. Um, you're doing that before TikTok even existed.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Um, nah, it's been it's been great to watch your growth. What is next?
1: You know, right right now, man. I'm i uh, <clears throat> I'm making courses. So I had a I have a how to market your music on social media courses at Group82University.com. That's the company Group82. So go to Group82University.com, get that course. I had a I have a how to grow your YouTube channel course. Those are courses that I wrote them. Ain't no chat GPT inside there. This is before any of that existed. I wrote it. I did everything. So all those resources are there. Uh, We have a podcast audio course. So for anybody who wants to know how to edit podcast audio, that's on the website. We got a how to make thumbnails course. We have that as well. So what I'm doing is I'm building an asset of digital courses. And I'm putting them on our website. And I'm putting them on on Skillshare. For those of y'all that don't know who might make your own courses, Skillshare, it's a Spotify of courses. And what wow. I mean by that is when you make a course and you upload it to Skillshare, every time somebody watches it, you get paid. You get paid by a per minute's watch. Just like on Spotify, you get paid with your streams. So Skillshare can be a great source of passive income for anybody that has any skills to teach. So I'm putting all those on there. And I want to really automate that. I want that to be the passive income because this digital entrepreneur, digital marketing creator business, it's like coaching. Like the reason I was successful is because I came from Shaka smart school of hundred hours a week, you know? So yeah. no one, no one in the creative economy is working hundred hours a week. And I led my team like a, a coach. I was a head coach. I had to interview interns and hire staff. I probably have had over 120 people work for me and it's exhausting. Like I don't want to run a, a company. That's not what I want to do. I love basketball. I try to run from it, and it keeps pulling me back. It's like, you know, Al Pacino in the uh, godfather (laughs) system. When I think I'm down, it pulls me right back in. And even when I was out of it, man, like, you know, all my coaching friends, guys that became agents, guys that start working in the NBA, kids that I coached since in third grade, now he's a McDonald's All-American, Coach Clark, Duck, I need help. Like, who am I not to give these kids knowledge? And at that time, when I was out of coaching, I had nothing to gain. So here I am with all this basketball knowledge and experience and I'm able to just give it out for free because as you know, in this business, you know, everybody's looking for what can you do for me? And so what that did is it kept me looped in and it kept me passionate and like basketball is what I love, man. So now I'm studying to be an agent. I want to be an agent for NBA players and I want to be a a legacy agent. I don't really want to be your, your first contract agent. I don't want to really deal with all of that because I feel like, There are so many other organizations that handle that really, really well. And I feel like that's such a delicate process. There's so many things that you got to know. But once you get inside the league, you have to learn who you are in this NBA and its entire ecosystem, who the character that you are, what brand that you are, and how you can leverage that outside of the NBA. The NBA is the most powerful marketing force probably in the States or one of, I'll say one of, definitely in the uh, world. And when you are a star of the NBA, you're able to leverage that to other things. So with my experience with basketball, the visual and all the stuff, with my experience building my business from nothing to over a million in a revenue and all the social media stuff, it just fits and it aligns because all these players now are individual corporations and they have to think about how can you build your brand outside of, of basketball? So I want one or two clients, if that, but I want the guys that want to be the best of the best the guys that want to be the player of the president's uh, association, the guys that want to be the social justice award, the guys that want to have their family helping with the NBA draft and all that stuff. And guys that want to be MVPs and really want to win it and, and, and want to compete. And so that's, that's the next goal, man. I'm going to study and take the exam.
0: I love it. Well, if you know anything about my friend, Dorian, he's going to be great at that as well. Uh, the ability to be at, the ability to adapt and see things in the market that are needed. It's always been excellent at, I got one final question for you. We do this thing on last call. Um, it's the end of the night. You and I actually, I think we might only did this one time. Um, the 100-hour weeks didn't allow for many bar visits. Um, but it's the end of the night, and uh, and the, the bartenders rung the bell. Ding, 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 ding. And it's the last call. Um, you've got two people beside you. On the left of you is someone who's retired. On the right of you is someone who's still alive and working. Um, no family. What two people are, are do you have beside
1: you? Oh man, do I know anyone who's retired? <laughs> <It's>
0: like, <laughs> it could be anybody, it could be anybody, it could be anyone. Historic, it didn't have to be in your, Oh, his in your Oh, history. historic. Oh, easy, yeah. It God be. and Satan. Oh, I mean, all right, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. No, I <laughs> like that just,
1: that's that's you know, because I, um, I really kind of understand may, that.
0: cop would be explosive.
1: And, that, and that's the thing. Like I, I really, like, what question can't get answered? Like, what haven't they seen? You know, like, I, I really want to know how all this works. Like, obviously, I would never be the same after that. They don't tell them what would happen to me. But, you know, that's, yeah, that's that's the stuff that I think. When I tell you that I think deep,
0: yeah, that's yeah, the stuff I am
1: thinking good. about. <laughs>
0: that, that's a good answer right there. Um, Well, shoot, Dorian, thank you for joining us. How, one more time, how can our guests find you?
1: at Dorian group 82 on all social media. Uh, I'm about to start doing a lot more basketball content right now. Everything's music, marketing, creator content. So go there, all my social media, group 82 university.com. That's the website with all the courses hit me up. I try to hit people back inside the comments and everything. Y'all got any questions about anything too. I'm always down to answer questions to help anybody.
0: That's my guy, Dorian. We'll see you next time. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.